Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your co-host and producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always by Craig Mish. Craig, how you doing this week as we are about halfway through spring training? Great to be with you again, Jeremy. It's been a definitely an interesting spring training. I was able to get to the ballpark, a rare feat mm-hmm. these days for me, on was it Wednesday night to see the Marlins play the Astros? So definitely good to be there. A lot of night games being played in the spring this year. So that's opened up the door a little bit more for me with my duties during the afternoon, but great to be with you. And yeah, here we are. We're almost there. <laughs> Opening day, just a little bit over a couple of weeks away. Yeah, just a couple of weeks. And uh, we're not going to take too long on this section of our podcast. We have a really great interview with James Rousen coming up uh, in just a couple of minutes, but I wanted to give you Craig, just, a few minutes here to sort of update the folks on any news and notes around the Miami Marlins that you feel are worthy of blessing the swings and missioner, uh, swings and missioner, swings and missions <laughs> listeners with this, this morning. You could just rename the podcast for the day. It's swings fine. and missioners. Jeremy finally has a lot on his plate too after five years. So he, this is, uh, you know, he's going through it like me now. Yeah, third cup of coffee at nine in the morning. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I, I think we're at that lull stage of spring training, slogging through. Games are being played every day. And, and there isn't really a lot of news with the Marlins. I, I think that, look, the, I understand that people are, craving to see some of these games on television it does not look like that's going to happen as i've talked about before the deal is done for the deal like people keep asking me about the tv deal like the deal is done it's just not official yet but Mm -hmm. the games will be on television i had heard that they really wanted to air one game at the end of spring training kind of to you know lead into the season in that final week but i haven't heard any progress on that so i'm i'm not sure that that's going to happen or not and and the thing that people have to understand also with the tv deal is this is that you would think that all the ad revenue from broadcasting games would would be done previous to a deal it is not so essentially the this what they have to do is sell the games you know they have to sell ads for the games and I don't know that in a two-week period you could just sell out a game to put on television. Now they will for the regular season, of course. There's still a long time to do that over the course of a whole year. But I think that's part of the dynamic, too, is that those games need to be sold. There needs to be ads. We don't want to see the same commercials over and over again. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. And you, you, you don't have to make fun of it. I will. But I know you're working for them now, but I'll be the one to make fun of that. So that's kind of where we stand. TV uh, Games will be on TV starting April the 1st. Uh, beyond that, the the rotation everyone kind of understands what it is the lineup is you know there's this battle i guess at second base going on i'm not really sure how that will work out i could end up being wrong on that initially thinking that jazz was guaranteed to get the job at least based on what i've seen now in person i'm not sure uh, and 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 the, uh, the the big story i think that for most people at least the question i get asked the most so i'm kind of the sixto guy i guess I, on every one of these zooms i'm the one that's asking you know what update 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 up he's the most popular player right now i i I don't know what else to say i I hate to be that guy but everyone wants to know at least in my world everyone's asking me every day what the deal is so i'll summarize that and then we'll get to james rousen here who's who's got a fantastic interview and i don't i don't want to take too much time here so the deal with sixto sanchez is as follows he's not going to be ready for the regular season and, and I think that this is more or less sort of by design and sort of the way that things just happened. He, he reported to camp a little bit of a little bit late because of a visa issue. And I don't, I don't think that that would have slowed anything down, but then the false positive on the COVID yep, yep. test set him back for sure, because that put him away from the team for days. 
Then he came back. Now he's getting ramped back up. I believe the Marlins are going to have him on a pitch limit this season of somewhere between 150 and 160 innings, somewhere along those lines. If you said to me, hey, Craig, they're in it in September. They need a start. Could he throw six innings? Of course, that could change the dynamic of this. I don't think this is a Strasburg situation where he just stops, but they want to have him the entire season. So the only way really to do that would be a later start for him. So I think we'll be looking at somewhere around April 11th, 12th, 13th, somewhere along those lines. I'm not sure which there's like an off, there's the Mets, there's an off day, and then there's the Mets again. And then there's the Braves. One of those road games, I believe will be his first start of the season. Uh, I believe he will get in a game next week at some point. And then at that point, we can start to map out where he could potentially fit. Kim Ng on, on the call yesterday said she thought it was important for everybody to get in a game. So I would assume that that will be the case with Sixto. But let's remember, he was pitching at the alternate site before he came up and did what he did at the big league yep. level last year. I don't think that this really changes much for him, but that those are the details that I can share that I believe subject to change. Certainly, we're still three weeks away, Jeremy, and there, there are things that can happen over the final three weeks. So we're not going to put anything in stone. Expectation for Sixto Sanchez mid-ish April debut, somewhere between 150 and 160 innings with a chance to go a little bit more if the Marlins are in it. Also keep in mind, if the Marlins are not, a chance to go a little bit less, I would guess. So that to me is the one thing I wanted to do here today. Beyond that, uh, I would love for everyone to be able to listen to Marlins offensive coordinator and bench coach James Rousen because there is no doubt in my mind that uh, this man is headed for some great things in the future. Now, you guys are absolutely going to love this interview. Um, stop replying to every single one of Craig's tweets with where is Sixto. Uh, that's pretty much the message that you're getting at the beginning of this of this pod. Oh, yeah, everyone um, can ask. Everyone can ask. Look, I'm, I'm going to ask every day. Look, I am the least afraid person of asking yep. a question in a room. or in, sure. or in, I'm going to keep asking until I can't ask anymore. But when there's no update, there's nothing else to say. But it is nonstop with me. And I think part of it is because of the show, the TV show that I do on, on Sports Grid for fantasy. And I think that's a mm-hmm. big part of it. And I understand that. And look, I'm, I've, the fantasy community is super important to me. This is where I came from. This is where I still am. But I, I, I don't have any other details as far as that goes. I would, if, if I was a Marlins fan or, or somebody from the fantasy aspect paying attention to this, I would really start paying attention, not just to me, but everything that comes out of anybody's mouth regarding yep. Sixto Sanchez in the next two weeks, because anything that's happened thus far is not really important, but what happens right before opening day and how they build him up is going to be super important. Absolutely. Well, Marlins fans, we hope you enjoy this exclusive interview with James Rousen, the offensive coordinator of the Miami Marlins. And here we do have James Rousen on today's edition of Swings and Mishes. Of course, a very decorated hitting coach. Many organizations as well, which we'll get into, among them the Chicago Cubs, New York Yankees, Minnesota Twins, and now the offensive coordinator and bench coach for the Miami Marlins as we get ready to enter the 2021 season. James, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us here on Swings and Mishes, and good to talk to you again. Uh, Thanks for having me. Happy to do it, guys. All right. Well, uh, you know, James, I I, I kind of, I, I have so much to talk to you about and doing research for things like this generally is easy, 
But when I go back, I'm like down this YouTube wormhole of like, let me find every interview that James Rousen is. There's not a lot. So it's it's getting to know you kind of through things that other people have said about you and learning a little bit about you. But, you know, the, the one question that I would love to start off with is just kind of how you got here, what your journey was like after being a ball player and then moving over to the hitting role and how you found yourself here in South Florida after many years with different organizations? Well, I, I would say, first of all, um, just playing, playing experience wise, I realized how hard hitting was. Um, I wasn't very good at it as a player. Um, I had to really work really hard to try and figure it out. And I think that's really what kind of led me down the road of a hitting coach. Um, my mentality is one of, if I'm not very good at something, I want to try to figure out how to do it. So the hitting side led to like just learning about the art of hitting. Um, the more I learned about it, the more I got to know, um, then it, it, I, was, I was able to teach it a lot better than I was able to do it, I found out, like just kind of learning through, through the learning process as a player. Um, I had an opportunity to be a hitting coach. I started actually um, with the Angels in the minor leagues, um, and I started out in short season A ball and just started to try to climb, climb that ladder to get there. Uh, the guy for me was when I was a player, I ended up being released by the Mariners, and I went to uh, the Yankees. And Gary Dembo, who's with us now, was actually the hitting coordinator of the Yankees at the time. And ironically, it was um, I was one of the players that was released. I wasn't um, a priority, per se, of the organization. And it was amazing the amount of time he was willing to spend with me as a player just trying to help me. And, I, and honestly, that was what, what made me want to do this job. So he's one of the first people when I decided, like, hey, you know what, man, it's, it's pretty cool that this guy's going to spend time with me and treat me as if I was – one of the top picks. It didn't matter. As long as I had on a uniform, I was important to the organization. So that was kind of the MO I took. And, and he kind of really left that on me. And I decided at some point, you know, coaching was something I would want to do. And, and it just kind of carried over from there. It just, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I realized that I enjoyed helping other guys kind of more than I, I did thinking about myself. It was, it was easier for me to think about other players and worry about their success. And it took the focus off yourself, which was something I just kind of took and it just kind of took along the way, you know what I mean? And it kind of happened for me that way. But it was really um, ironic how it started because I never saw myself being a coach, but you never you never know where, where life's going to take you. So that's how it started. Yeah. Uh, listen, 10 years ago, James, I never thought that I'd be doing a Marlins podcast here and, and doing it on <laughs> Zoom, not even being able to be with you in person. It's like, that's the toughest part for me this spring training, for sure. To, to follow up with that, you said something there uh, about Gary Denver, who I was going to ask you, you know, down the line in the interview, but, but it sounds like to me that if Gary is not in the position that he is with the Marlins, that James Rousen could still potentially be with the twins or even somewhere else. Is, is that fair to say that it was basically him that I don't want to say lured, but kind of spoke to you and, and got you to take the job with the Marlins. Is that fair? Um, you know, I would say there are, there are a lot of um, different things. I mean, obviously just, in terms of myself, um, I live here in Florida. My parents are um, here in here in this state as well, and and there, so there are a lot of family issues um, that I was dealing with at the time as well. Um, but without a doubt, knowing people and relationships are, are really important. So just his influence and just knowing who he is, knowing what he stands for, at the same time too, having spent many many years with with, with Derek in, in the Yankee organization and knowing what he stands for and knowing what he's about. So the one thing I did understand was that. These are these are two people that have great vision. They're also two people that are that are committed to 
attaining a goal. Once they decide, you know, here's the goal we're going to get, we're going to find a way to achieve it. So that was exciting, just knowing the group of people I was um, going to have a chance to work with in this in this organization. But there are also other things, you know, that that kind of led to the decision as well. Um, I would always tell you that my time in Minnesota was probably, you know, three of the the best years of my career, and 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 people there were phenomenal. Um, just a great group of people. I enjoyed every second of it. So it it really had nothing to do with that group. It was more about um you know, the opportunity um, that this that this presented as well as some other things. And also, I think there's times where just in general, if you're going to grow, you know, change comes with growth. Or, or should I say, you know, growth comes with change. And there's a time where you, you can't be afraid to grow in anything you do. I think it's the things that I preach players from the hitting standpoint to get them to to not be afraid to try things. And I think if you're going to ask a player that, then you better show your track record shows that you're not afraid to try things and, and you do things differently. So there were a lot of things that go into those decisions for me, but um, definitely having a relationship with this group of people and knowing what they stood for was was a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to tell me, James, because any job that's thrown my way before I say no, I got to think about that thing. You know, I mean, in this day and age of of being in sports, um, and my and my co-host Jeremy as well, who's uh, now working uh, and doing you know television and online work, we're we're all trying to grow. I think that's that's part of what we do. Um, you, know, you mentioned the twins. And in a, in a previous interview, you said something that I want to go back to and get a little bit more of a detailed explanation, because I think that, and your, your title is hitting, is, is hitting uh, offensive coordinator and bench coach. But what you said in the interview, and I believe it was with Roy Smalley, if I'm not mistaken, was that when players come to you and you're working with players, you basically are instructing them to do different things but you want them to challenge you. You want them to ask you why the things that you are implementing with what they're doing, why they make sense. And I'd like you to expand on that because you don't hear that from a lot of coaches. Coaches come in, James, and some of them let the players be themselves. I think that that's a big part of that for you. But what you would like to do is, is engage that conversation and why it makes sense for the things that you're trying to get these guys to do. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. So I think transparency is is what we need. We need people, uh, we need our players really and our coaches to understand that none of us may have all the answers. It's going to be a collaboration of the, the player and the coach to try to come to the answer together. But as a player, you've got to feel like you have some say in, in what's happening here. I mean, it's going to be your at bat. I mean, those numbers are going on the back of their baseball card, not mine. And, you know, I'm very you know aware of that. And I understand that that their swings are very close to them. And, you know, players, are, it's very tough to give up something you've been successful at and ask and ask them to change something that may help them if they're not completely sure about it. They have to have the ability to ask. So one of my, I don't have very many rules, but one of my rules I tell players all the time is if I ask you to do something and I can't tell you why, don't do it. And, and guys kind of feel like, really? And I said, really? I mean, I should be able to answer your question as a coach if I'm asking you to change. Um, and I also feel like the transparency of that kind of opens the door where players feel comfortable to um to express themselves i have some players at times um that have told me like i know they're going to say yes to everything mm -hmm. so i have tactics to where i'll tell them the wrong thing to do and it's kind of comical and i'll just say hey do this and do that and guys are like they'll keep doing it i'm going like how many times are you gonna do this until you ask me why am i asking you to do this so <laughs> so it creates kind of this environment where like well i don't want to question you and i say no i absolutely want you to question I feel like when the player feels free to question every single thing you ask them, it makes the coach 
have to be aware of what he's asking the player to do. Um, if you know they're gonna question you, you're gonna do your research before you start to wanna implement changes. And from a player standpoint, if you feel free to question everything without uh, getting in trouble for it or without being deemed like this player's uncoachable uh, or you know having a bad attachment to you, but you feel free to have that dialogue with your coach, what you're doing is you're building a real relationship. And, and as you build real relationships with people, I feel like the baseball gets easier um, when they feel like they can really be honest and talk to you about what's going on, knowing that everything I do won't be right and everything that they won't will do won't be right, but we'll all be accountable. And we know we're working in one direction to, to make that player better. James, uh, you know, I was going to ask you a, a different question, but I have to kind of follow up here because I find the idea that, that you have players coming back at you after telling them the wrong thing to do. <laughs> To be fascinating. <laughs> Do you have any any players specifically that come to the top of your mind immediately that are either the most inquisitive within this organization in terms of, you know, pushing back or guys that have been willing to completely adjust their swings, but guys who in your line you've seen with the Marlins sort of be willing to kind of make themselves uncomfortable? Uh, yeah, I think that happens over time, honestly. The more the player gets to, to know your style, then the, the more that happens. But you know, we have some players here. I mean, I spend a lot of time just getting to know players and, and that's a great, you know, that's a great process within itself. So I can just like give examples of like, you know, I spend a lot of time with like Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson is like one of the hardest workers you're going to come across. This guy prepares himself. He prepares his body. Um, he knows, he knows how his body works. Um, and he knows how he, how his body works better than, than we do right now. So mm. I think when you're dealing with players that are, that are that into what they do, they do their homework, they do things the right way. You've got to kind of spend a lot of time getting to know what they do, as opposed to trying to get them to know what you do. Um, I think it's important to meet them where they are and not try to bring them over to where I am. So like Dickie, we have like, like in the second year so far, we have, because Dickie's the guy, he's going to challenge you. You know, he comes in and he's like, hey, <laughs> what about this? Or what about that? And, and I love these conversations. But, um, you know, and a lot of times what, what happens is I learn something as hopefully I'm able to, to give him something. But at the same time, I learn a different way or a different way of saying things that may help another player down the road. So I just kind of use me and Corey have kind of this relationship. A lot of times we're kind of going back and forth a little bit fun, but he's, he's one of the players here on the Marlins. Some of the younger players we have here, I think what, what ends up happening with the younger group is allowing them to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So it starts with, with that process. So I ask a lot of questions on what players do. Um, I spent a little time here um, early in spring training with um, Connor Scott and just kind of talking to him about a few things, but seeing how he thinks, uh, I love this kid's swing. I think he's got a, a really good swing. There are a lot of positive things in it, but I want to learn about him before I start to uh, give him too much information and learn how he learns, learn what works for him. So there's just this process, I guess, of, of getting to know one another, but also making it fun. Baseball's got to be fun. You know, they show up here every day. It's, it's hard to hit. Hitting is the hardest thing in the world to do. I can attest to that. If you look at the back of my baseball card, it will tell you how hard hitting was for me. So you know, I think I also have that feeling. I think I also have that feeling as a as a former player who it wasn't easy to. I think I kind of understand what it feels like to struggle. Mm. And and I use that at times when I see a player going through a tough time or I see something happening. I know what that feels like. And honestly, you need people to be in your corner during those times and, and help you through them 
as opposed to feel like people are always judging you or always evaluating you during your moments of, of struggle. So it's, it's a, it's a, you know, bumpy road, but it, it's fun. It, it's what I love doing. Yeah. James, don't feel bad. Gary's back at his baseball card. Also, you know, not pretty <laughs> also. Gary, if you're listening, sorry, had to do it. There it is. Um, James Rousen is the offensive coordinator and bench coach of the Marlins. So as offensive coordinator, he's helping the Marlins win the world series and the super bowl. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, J- James, I, okay. So here's where it gets a little tough for me. So, so the Marlins organization clearly has stockpiled arms beyond belief. I mean, we know that. I mean, we, we can see that they're all in the top 100 as far as prospects are concerned. I, I suppose my struggle is with some of these younger players that have either been acquired or previously drafted that are not yet at the major league level, or we've seen a little bit at the major league level. And, and James, you, you've been through this. You've seen players. Sano has come up hit almost right away. Uh, Glaber Torres, Aaron Judge. I mean, you've been you've been through these players with the Yankees and the Twins. Uh, Rookie of the year in the NL a couple of years ago, Pete Alonso with 50 home runs. Jordan Alvarez, Astros, comes up, hits 40 home runs. That did not happen for any of the young Marlins, at least initially in their debut. Uh, I hear the flip side of that. Well, you know, Trout struggled his first year too. I, I get all that. Uh, walk me through these young players that you've seen and why you believe that perhaps one, two, three of them may end up being viable, strong, big league hitters at this level sooner than later? I think initially you kind of look at the tools of the player first, like everyone does, right? You look at like, what, what is the ability on the surface? And you're, you're able to look at swings. And then I think you, you have this library of swings in your head or players in your head. And you're saying, does this, have I seen this work at the major league level before? I think, and then when that starts to play in your head, I think you feel like, you know, this can work. You can go to the tools and then you start talking about, you know, the makeup of the player or the mindset of the player. And if if a lot of these things start to click, I think you feel comfortable looking at this player saying, this player should hit, this player should perform at this level. And then, Craig, you do the same thing. You go back and you start looking at uh, players who you know may have struggled a little. I mean, Aaron Judge, I remember when he came up initially, there was an alarming strikeout rate. Um, to start and but but you knew the makeup of the player the plate discipline the player showed um, you know he struggled at on off speed uh, early on but yet he didn't chase a whole lot of them so there were these underlying factors that you look at for me offensively when I'm looking at the player it's not just the the negative number I'm trying to figure out how that player is getting to that number and then to decide is there something that we can do from a drill standpoint or a work standpoint or a game planning standpoint, there's so many aspects of this game. How do we attack that area? If I know that I've had success or seen success in those areas prior to, I feel comfortable moving forward with that player, knowing that it may take some time. It may not happen initially. Um, you know, it's some at best. When you look at the players um, in our organization here at the Marlins, one of the things you have to consider is the pitching in the division. So you start looking and you're saying, okay, these are young players already that that are going to come into the league and and they're going to have a change of, you know, of just being in the major leagues and have to adjust to that. Now you're looking at you're facing some of the top pitching in the league in this division. So, you know, what is the caliber of pitching? So if you were to measure sometimes a player playing in a different division um, and you measure the caliber of pitching that he's facing in that division. So you may see a young player who's doing well in a, a different division. But if you were to break that down, you say, okay, what are the percentages that this guy has faced like, you know, above average major league starters? Well, maybe that guy has faced, you know, 
or 30% of those types of pitchers. But if your guy is facing 70%, those numbers have to be swayed a different way. You have to know that your guy may be, you know, just as good or better. It's just terms that he's facing a lot better competition. So there are so many different things that go into the picture. I think you have to have confidence in what you're seeing and what this player's done to get to this point and knowing like it may take a little bit more time for it to translate. But if you feel comfortable about the road that the player's taking and what that and, and what you're seeing every day, I think you you have more confidence in, in making the decision of whether you think this guy will be able to succeed at the major league level. All right. So, I, yeah. I'm so, oh, I'm sorry there. Um, no, no, that's it. Okay. So, so I, I do have two, uh, I had one more, but let, let me follow up on, on that one just to get a little bit more specific for the people who uh, are listening. So, uh, you know, we saw uh, Lewin Diaz come up, he played first base. We saw, we've seen Monte Harrison play now a little bit at the big league level. Uh, Lewis Brinson has made some strides last year for sure. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, we've also seen come up at the, at the major league level, JJ Bladeo uh, a little bit here. Uh, in the minors, Jazz Chisholm, Isan Diaz. So I'm I'm just going to kind of put all of those younger players sort mm-hmm. of in your barrel here. And and I'm not going to ask you to comment on all of them, but I suppose I would ask with the struggles combined, well, let's not include JJ in that because he hasn't had any big league time, but with the struggles combined of all of them, I would say, uh, wh- why, why should Marlins fans be confident uh, about one, about any, that they will eventually hit at the big league level, just to kind of put it a little bit more directly. Um, I would say, so my confidence is I'm, I'm, I trust the process. That's, that's my, where I'm confident. And I feel like from a fan standpoint, I, I have no problem in a fan saying, Hey, you know what? I want to see ultimately I'd like to see performance. I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, from a fan standpoint, you want to see performance. Um, you want to see these players perform on the field well. And just my, my uh, comment in that would be, I'm trusting the process. I believe in these players. And I feel like ultimately with this process, our fans will see performance. So I don't expect our fans to some extent to say, hey, um, you know, what do you like? I'm going to believe in this just no matter what. I think ultimately, as we start to show some performance in these players, we build trust. And that's how we have to go about it. I mean, our the trust that we're going to ask from, from our fans are going to be that we can we, these players will ultimately produce. So again, my, my focus is to put our players in the best position to, you know, what they need to do, what they need to focus on, keep them loose, keep them free, give them the right plans that hopefully help them produce, which then gets our fans involved in seeing that these guys are progressing and moving forward. And, you know, like Lewis Brinson is a guy who you mentioned. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't known Lou at all before this year, heard a lot about him or should I say last season, the first season, but um, heard a lot about him, but this is a guy whose work ethic is off the charts. This is a guy who's incredibly accountable ever since I've met him. He, he knew there were things that he needed to do, and he took it upon himself to go out there and work hard and move forward doing things. A lot of times people talk about Lou. Lou deserves all the credit in the world because at the end of the day, it's the player who's doing it. Um, you know, I can offer advice. I can offer different things and help him look through things. But I feel like, you know, when the player's playing well, they deserve all the credit in the world because when they're not playing well, they get all the blame for for what's going for what's happening you know so um but he's a, a perfect example of you can't always you know figure out how much time it's going to take but at the end of the day if you like what ends up being produced from that it's it's well worth it and some of our younger players that we're saying that maybe came to the major leagues and didn't just um hit it off right away like you may look at a young player um 
hypothetically like a Jesus Sanchez, but you take into account, look at this kid's ability, look at what he can do. Again, on the surface, everything matches up. And then you say, well, he had a tough start to his major league career when you got to start your career against Patrick Corbin and Max Scherzer. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yep. you know, you, you look at some things and go, man, I can't really, I mean, I know some really good hitters that don't like those at bats against those guys, <laughs> particularly at times. So I think, again, it's, it's about seeing the whole picture. Um, and believing in the player, the player knowing you believe in them, believing in the process, and ultimately with what I talked about a little earlier with you, with the transparency and the open comments and the open dialogue, you just tend to get there a lot faster than, than you would if you're waiting. So I believe in our young guys, although I know the major league level, there are adjustments to be made, and, and they will make those adjustments. Um, I've had some experience at times with players in this same zone. You know, I've had Byron Buxton. Um, sure who at times was very similar where you look through that and Byron Buxton, um, you know, um, I think it was either 19 or there was a point before he, he got hurt that he was leading the league in doubles um, before he ended up going down. And this is a guy where you're thinking, just hit the ball on the ground. Well, he didn't have to hit the ball on the ground. He's got a good swing. He worked on developing that swing and developing those tools, but it took a little longer for it to play consistently at the major league level. But now when those tools play, you see what a dynamic type of player he can be. Max Kepler, uh, you know, and we can go on the list of young guys that may have had some type of struggles, but ultimately their talent plays out. And I see the same thing happening with this group of talented players here in Miami. All right. Uh, listen, there's, there's no question that the, the talent is there. It's just a matter of, of getting the most out of it. These are all very highly touted prospects. All right. Uh, you've given a lot of your time and I appreciate it, uh, James. We're going to wrap with this. Uh, very widely uh, discussed that you interviewed with the Boston Red Sox to become their manager. Uh, it's my understanding that you were the runner-up uh, for Skipper there. Uh, I was texted with somebody back and forth. They said the best bet in baseball t- is that James Rousen is going to be a big league manager in a year. And I said, a year? Like next year? Like, you know what? Let's make it two. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's go do, let's do two. Uh, what was the experience like if you could shed some light on that interviewing for the Red Sox? And is your ultimate goal inevitably to be a big league manager? Um, first, first, the experience was phenomenal. Um, great group of people um, having a chance. And again, it was just really, I felt like it was more of, of talking the game and getting to know people more than I felt like being interviewed. I mean, I think I go into every one of these processes that you go through, just trying to learn something. And, you know, again, sharing who you are. I think transparency is important. Um, when it comes to managing, I always feel like, um, you know, it's just like, do you want to manage? I, I feel like my mindset is, I want to be part of something special. And if you, if they feel like I'm the right person for that position, that's when I want to do it. Um, I don't want to, uh, I have no, no aspirations to manage, just to manage. I have aspirations to be able to help or be part of something special. Um, and that's what it comes down to for me, helping a group of people, helping a group of players and, you know, being yourself, being transparent. And, and if that works for that group, that's where I want to be. Um, so I, I, I kind of pride myself. I went into that process just to be myself and I, I enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was really good. It was detailed. It's many hours that go, that go into it, you know? Um, and, and I learned a lot and I, you know, I think it was important to know what you don't know and be comfortable with not knowing everything. Um, what I've learned down the, down the road is, um, the best way uh, to take any position to me where, where you have, you know, supposed power, if you want to call it that. But I think the best way to take that is what you do is you, you have the ability to empower people. 
Um, I feel like the most important role in those are, are letting the people around you feel comfortable doing what they're good at and not trying to be the person to do everything. And um, that's kind of what, what I learned as I go through these roles and talk about talk to players and talk to coaches. So I kind of see it if that opportunity presents itself and it's one where I feel like it's comfortable making a difference and doing things. Um, you know, I, I would look at that, but I'm, I also focus on the, the job at hand every day. And right now I focus on being the offensive coordinator and, and the bench coach here and to do everything I can do to, to put this group of people that I'm around now in the best position to succeed. And, and hopefully that's winning a world championship this year. Well, James, the accolades have come in on you already. And uh, I have no doubt that we'll be having a different conversation in a year or two from now with you being a big league skipper. It just seems to be something that is, is in your future without a doubt. Uh, I thank you for all the time that you've given us here today on Swings and Mishes and wish you all the best in 2021. Thank you once again for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, James. You got it.